You know, um, the worship is so great. And I'm going to say this to you. I've said it to you once before, but don't ever, don't ever take our worship experience for granted. A lot of people just, just it's easy to complain about something but, and miss out on the opportunity that's there. And so I really encourage you, don't miss out on what God has for you. And um, we've been talking about this for several weeks, about what our next topic is going to be, and it is leaving Egypt. And uh, leaving Egypt can be a variety of things, maybe something big in your life and maybe something small. But I'll tell you what, every one of us, if we haven't yet, we have yet to find our Egypt but every one of us have got to leave Egypt for us to be where we're supposed to be and be, for us to become what we're supposed to become. And, um, you know, this morning there was someone in the crowd, and uh, his wife told him he was going to eat breakfast or something, and uh, she pulled in here. I don't know all the details, but um, for whatever reason you're here, by deception or, or anything else, I want you to know that you're, <laughs> I want you to know that you're welcome, and we're so glad that you're here. And you're part of the service with us. Um, if you have your Bibles, want to go back to the book of Egypt, book of Egypt, book of Exodus, chapter six. But what is what is leaving Egypt? What does that mean? What does leaving Egypt mean? Well, today we're going to talk about just the initial leaving, the experience of leaving Egypt and those people that were involved. But but it's a place of of rule, a place of your past, uh, a place that. Uh, always kind of keep you bound or held you hostage, if you will. Uh, it can be, I'm going to say this is not in marriage, but there are many times there are many people held bound, bondage because of marriage. Uh, the, I know that there's been women at times, a lot of things that they had to deal with with a husband at home, and there was abuse going on. There's a lot of stuff going on there, and it caused a lot of co- conflict with, with different ones. But, but what I'm talking about with a place of rule, a place of control. Um, how many of you ever had a place of in your life that was controlled you? Let me ask you. How many are, are NFL uh, fans? Okay, you're controlled, and you're controlled, regardless of what you say, you're controlled by the Super Bowl. How many, how many of you uh, NFL fans were really happy we didn't have church last Sunday night? Don't answer that. Okay. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that, that, that can keep us bound someplace in our past or somewhere in our future will never come to pass. What does uh, Egypt represent? It represents a past. It represents your disappointments. It rep- represents some, sometimes people, places of hardships, lifestyles, failures in your life, broken promises that people made to you, and so you feel like your whole life has been nothing but broken promises, old influences, cultures of your past, regret, regretful places, and it can even be times of bliss when you didn't care about anything, but then you realize you didn't care about anything because you were selfish. And so there's a lot of things that happened in, in, in Egypt, and what is it, what does Egypt represent to each of us? I think each of us have a place in our life that there has been in Egypt. Why or where we... What, why or where, why were, or why, we need some Braille or something so I can read with my hands. Why were or are we in the place of enslavement? 
I think of any times, any time that you think about Egypt, we, we got change up here, it represents something. But so many people, I've known many, 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 many people that had attachments in their life. It was things that they couldn't, it seemed like it was always going to be a part of their life. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard people say, this has been a part of my life and I always, once you've been involved in this, you'll always be involved in this. And I begin to think these are people that have been bound by things that people say, but th- things that people say and things that they have done and allowed themselves to be influenced by this. And they are still bound to this day. Things that control them, that they, that they don't realize there's any type of freedom in, in their life. How do we end up there? How do we end up this way about a, a big, about a big e- Egypt in our life? When we look at Israel and Egypt, we always think of one thing. Them coming out and Moses taking a big stick and, and going to the edge of the sea and casting his, holding his wand out over or a stick out over the sea and it separates and they all go through on dry ground and, and it's just a wonderful experience. There's a whole lot of things involved in getting out of Egypt. How did they end up there? You know, Joseph, when he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, he, the Ishmaelites took him and he told him to Potiphar. Then from Potiphar, he went to prison. He was in prison for about probably 10 years. And after prison, he was, got elevated to a place of, of uh, the viceroy, if you want to say that, if you're like a Star Wars term. Uh, he was a viceroy of all of Egypt. He was like second in command. And little did he know that his place, of, his stature, his place and authority there would eventually become uh, something that all of his descendants just took for granted. So a period of time goes on there, and, and they stay in Egypt because it was comfortable. They had food, they had provisions, they had jobs. But something began to happen slowly, and, and they were not prepared for this. And matter of fact, how many has ever taken a... a uh, a pot and put it on the stove and filled it with water and put a frog in it and let it boil. None of us, I'm sure. I haven't either. But I've always heard you could put a frog in a pot of water and let it become, it becomes so hot, the frog doesn't ever really try to get out. It becomes so adapted to the around surroundings. And the same thing happened to the people of Israel when they were in Egypt. Now, they had grown a lot. There was about 600,000 men whenever uh, Moses called them out. But every one of these people had become complacent. They become content. And there's things in your life, and it's been in my life, and maybe still are in my life. As a matter of fact, there are things in my life. I was thinking, while I was praying this morning about some things about my life, they're not as big as they used to be, but there's still little things that control me. And little things and little attitudes that I have and thought processes that I have. Sometimes we think because we're in church and we're, that we're, we per, we're perfect. No, it's the farthest thing from the truth. But you should be able to, the Holy Spirit should be able to speak to you and get your heart back into a place. Okay, Lord, uh, I need some help. I need some direction in my life. And, uh, and so that's what had happened to Israel. They'd grown complacent and it became so complacent there started being rules put on them. And eventually it came to a place that were there for over 400 years. They became slaves. And when you become a slave to somebody, you are always answering to their beckoning call. It doesn't matter what they say, you do it. Uh, we know they were manual laborers. That's what they were known for in Egypt. And they didn't realize it, but that's what happened. And they, how long have you been there? There are things in your life. Let me just take, for instance, 
the first time you ever took a drink of alcohol. You don't have to comment. This is not, I'm not picking on anybody in particular or anything like that. Or first time you've done some drugs. Or, or first time you, you got involved in illicit sexual relations with someone. Something like that. Anything that can, can control you. What was the first experience that you had? Because I guarantee you, I could say something to you, if, whatever area it is, and you can instantly go back to that moment. But let me tell you about sin. Sin isn't content to be just the moment, the innocence of the moment. It continues to progress, and you don't even know it, but 400 years later, you're majorly addicted and majorly confused in your thinking, and you think that nothing else exists except Egypt. Because when they went into Egypt, they realized that there was a God. But the longer they were there, the farther and farther and farther that he came from him. And God had to speak to somebody. They took a little, little boy uh, just born and put him in the river and went, was a few months old or whatever and went down the stream and, and the Pharaoh's daughter caught, found out he was, the Moses was in this little basket and pulled him out. And his sister Miriam went and found her at nurse. His mom, his mom got to nurse him. He was probably five or six years old. That's what they considered nursing. But there was enough truth placed in Moses at that time in the early part of his life that prepared him for the future. He never did fit in. Even though he was raised in, in Pharaoh's house, he never really fit in. But then years later, when he was about 40, we know that he killed a person in Egypt and ran for the tall grass and ran on the backside of the desert. I'm not going by my notes at all. Hopefully I'll get back to him in a minute. But he goes back out there and for 40, 40 years, he's, he's on the backside of the desert and he meets, meets his wife and Jethro, et cetera, et cetera. And he has an encounter with God. Now let me tell you something. He never knew what the burning bush was going to mean in his life. You will never know what the burning bush experience that you have will mean in your life. This morning when I spoke to several people up here, there's things that, that I don't know who came or who didn't come really. But there's things in your heart and the Holy Spirit was speaking to you to come to the altar. Find a place to pray. Get some things clean. Get a, 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 a place of slavery mentality out of your life. He didn't know it then. He didn't even know who God was, really. Because when he seen the burning bush and he didn't consume, God told him to take off his shoes and he began to speak to him and said, I am, I am. Now, that would be kind of weird to us if, if God spoke to us. You know, several years ago when the Lord spoke to me out loud that morning that, and going to my basement when we were pastoring in Kentucky, the Lord didn't speak to me. I am, says. If he said, I am, says, I wouldn't, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, but God spoke that, that's what he said to him, I am that I am. And so that was a whole, that was a whole answer to a lot of people's prayers that for 400 years had felt, been felt abandoned. And then we know he goes on until the, goes back to Egypt and when he's 80 years old. Have we given up our God, have we given up our God-given future and exodus because it was just early easier. Many people have given up their God-given future because I know that the same way that he done Moses at the burning bush is the same way he wants to do it in your life. He's got a future and he has a purpose in your life. Many, many of us don't always understand and don't always maybe see it all, but there was a purpose. 
In Exodus chapter 6, we'll go there in just a second. Israel fell into a false hope in Egypt. It's a place of provision. Egypt supplied everything they needed. They had, they had food, they had shelter, they had everything they needed. They needed security. It was known to be a, a military a, a powerhouse, it was. It became normal. And all the work that the, master, the taskmasters had put upon, put upon them became normal. They worked their way into slavery. And it started with Joseph. You know, everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody does. And when you start, you're not going to feel as equipped or able as you will when you come down the road. Exodus chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, now you will see why I'm about, I will do to the king of Egypt. I will use my great power against him, and he will let my people go. Because of my power, he will force him out. Let me tell you, there was something going on in Egypt. There was something going on. God sent Moses there. He had to be an instrument that God had to have. He spoke and God, he was obedient. But there's one thing about it. When God established him, then God began to prove himself faithful. And each one of the plagues, each, each one of the plagues, he began to speak a little bit more to Israel. Because, see, you had all these Israelites, about two million of them living in Egypt. And all these plagues began to happen in this country. But nothing happened to the Israelites during all these plagues. Let's think about this. We're in America, and we have got a, we had a transitional change in our country. And we feel like many times that we should be exempt. Let me tell you, we're part of this world. Like it or not, there's things that happen that we don't like. But there's one thing about it. There's a proper way on what, how we respond and how we deal with things. As a, I'm going to, can you imagine all the Israelites? Just say the word Israelites. We go home and, and there's all this rule of the uh, Egyptians. And all of a sudden there breaks out this, this uh, blood. The water turns to blood. It doesn't affect us, but it affects them. The water we have in our hut or in our, our house is not, not contaminated. It's still pure. Then, then what about the lice? And what about the frogs? Everybody had frogs going everywhere. What about the locusts that came and devoured the crops and everything else? What about the darkness? And that was the next the last one. You see, all these things have effect upon everybody else, but they didn't have effect upon Moses and the children of Israel. And although the children of Israel had spent many years and weren't really sold out or, and weren't really following the things of God at that, time, at that time, there was something going on, and God has proven himself to them. Does that make sense? Proven himself to them. Look in verse 2. Then God said to Moses, I am the, I am the Lord. I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the, by the mighty name of by God, oh, by God Almighty, but they did not know, but they did not know my name, the Lord, the Lord. I also made an agreement with them in the land of Canaan that they lived in the land, but it was not their own. Now I've heard the cries of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are treating as slaves, and I remember my agreement. Stop here just a second. Moses needed some proof. He needed some reason about why he chose him. And Moses is going to go there and he was going to present this to the Egyptians. I'm going to wrap up. 
It may be a generational thing in your life. It may be a, a generational curse or a generational blessing. A generational blessing would be your great-grandfather, your grandfather, your father, and yourself have carried on the traditions and, and, and elements of, of your faith in Christ. But maybe you didn't come from that, back, that type of background. Maybe your grandfather had done this and he was anything but godly. And then your great-grandfather was the same way. And so in turn, you look at your father, maybe he's exactly the same way. Maybe you're a first generation. First generation. There was nobody in your past really established some right and wrong, not right and wrong, but godly principles in your life. And so this is going to be new for your family. Do you see that there's a special need for God to call you out in your family? That, he's, that you're there to, to remind them of something that happened a long time ago. Restore something in your life so that something can be restored in your family's life. Verse 5 and 6. Verse 6. So tell the people of Israel, say unto them, I am the Lord. I will save you from the Egyptians that force you to work. I will make you free so you won't have to, have to be slaves. I will, I will free you by my great power and will punish the Egyptians terribly. Verse 7. I will make my people known. I will make you my own people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. God went to great lengths. Often we just see the, the Ten Commandments on TV and that's all we think about it just uh, the movie. But God did a lot of things that we don't see to get the Israelites ready to receive him. The same way God has done a lot of things in your life to get you to a place to accept Christ. You may not understand it. You don't have to understand it. But you have to believe. Sometimes understanding gets confusing. You can sit around and think too much and it seems overwhelming to you. You know, one of my favorite rides in amusement park when I was a little kid was the merry-go-round. It was always going somewhere, always going around and around, but it was never getting me anywhere. The, the Israelites were on a merry-go-round, a spiritual one. And they went around and around. With that. I can relate to that later when they left Egypt. But even in Egypt, they weren't getting anywhere. I may speak all the way to 12. Just hang on. You see, when you live somewhere long enough, you begin to think in ways that are like your surroundings. People have become so pessimistic and so negative. They had a lot of things to fight through, a lot of things to go through. In Exodus ch chapter 12, 
We're just going to read one verse. Verse 11. It says, this is the way that you must eat it. It's talking about the Passover. You know, a lot of people don't understand the significance of Christ's blood. Him shedding his blood upon the cross. This is the first Passover. If you know what Passover is, I'll explain a little bit to you. There's a death angel was the last thing that God was going to send upon Egypt. But, in, but for each of the Israelites, he said, you sacrifice a lamb. You take the blood of that lamb. You drape it and you put it on the doorpost of your house, on the side post and on the top. You drape it and you smear it on there. And when the death angel comes to your house, it'll pass by you. And it'll go to the next house. And if it has blood, it'll pass by but every house that doesn't have blood, he will go in, he'll take the firstborn. And you have to know a little bit about the history of uh, during that time. The firstborn was the chosen. The firstborn was precious. The firstborn was more significant than any other in, in, your, in your family. In verse, chapter 12, verse 11, it says, this is the way you must eat it, the, the sacrifice. You must be fully dressed as you were going on a trip. You must have your sandals on, your walking stick in your hand. You must eat it in a hurry. This is the Lord's Passover. This was the night before Pharaoh said, get out, go, get away from here. Get out of here. I'm, I'm sick of all these plagues. They had 10 plagues, and on the 10th one, he let them go. But they had to be ready to go. same way with us. We've got to be ready to go. When the Lord comes back, yes. But ready in how we live. Ready. It made me think of the, in the passage in, in Luke chapter 15. I know nobody's knows what that is, but it's about the prodigal son. To truly leave your Egypt, you've got to develop your love for what's ahead of you. Doesn't matter what you experience, you gotta see Egypt for what it was. There is nothing more but slavery there. And everything in our past up to this point, if you don't know Christ, many times we had slavery in our past. You get to see it for what it is. What does your future have in store for you? It's something great. Luke chapter 15, verse 13. And I promise you, this is in closing. The decision to leave. Decision to leave. The most important decision you'll ever make is getting rid of your Egypt. I don't care how comfortable it, how comfortable it is there. I don't care if you have a cush job. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, maybe you have luxury in, in your Egypt. But the but most important decision you ever make, and you have made it or you need to make it, is leaving it. Then the younger son, verse 13, gathered up all that he had and was his, and he traveled far away to another country. And there he wasted, wasted his money and foolish living. After he'd spent all, a time came when there was no food anywhere in the country, and the son was poor and hungry. He got a job with one of the citizens who was who was 
who sent the son into the field to feed pigs. The son was so hungry that he wanted to eat the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he realized what he was doing, he thought, all of my servants, my father's servants have plenty to share, and I am here, almost dying with hunger. I will leave and return to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. So we went home, and the next verse, the next verse, it says, when the father saw him a long way off, in each of our lives, the father sees us exactly where we are. He doesn't care what you've been through, doesn't care what you've done. He knows you've got an easy to do. 